daughter when I was pregnant asked me what was going to happen when she had a baby. And you know, I they were supposed to, to protect us, and they didn't. The climate protesters are massively overprivileged and kind um, of posh. For me, a load of people dancing in the street, probably, you know, off their head and, you know, no. dreadlocks. You so may it's not a protest, it's just a film. On the point of cooperative, non-cooperative crusties, I wear that badge with Welcome to ACFM, the home of the weird left. Um, this is our microdose on Extinction Rebellion. We wanted to record an episode while it was actually happening. Um, I'm I'm Nadia Idol, and I'm joined as usual by Jeremy Gilbert. Hello. And Kia Milburn. Hello. So today we're going to talk about Extinction Rebellion, and this mostly came up because Jeremy wanted to wanted to talk about this, and so we've come together and made this quick recording. So, Jeremy, do you want to start by telling us why did you want to talk about Extinction Rebellion on our ACID podcast? Well, because there's obviously like a lot of um, overlaps between things we're interested in and things that Extinction Rebellion are doing. I mean, their whole aesthetic is almost sort of aggressively and quite sort of beautifully sort of psychedelic. Um, the sort of uh, mythology, I mean, it's not mythology, it's true, about, about XR is that it started off with Gail Bradbrook having an Ayahuasca trip and having a, you know, having a psychedelic experience in which he conceived of this political movement. And um, who's, who's that? Uh, Sorry, could you clarify? So who, Gail who Bradbrook is, and is along with Roger Hallam is the, one of the two founders of Extinction Rebellion. And Roger Hallam is the person who's probably quite likely better known to our listeners because he was interviewed extensively and yeah on um, Alex Doherty's uh, Culture Politics Theory other podcast, for example, which is a good resource. But Gail Bradbrook is the other big, the sort of lead, sort of theorist of Extinction Rebellion, and I mean. The best, if you want to see, there's a video on YouTube of her talking about ecology and strategy from last month, which goes into a lot of the thoughts informing it. And it is all, it's very psychedelic. Um, there's obviously a big ethic of collective joy involved in their practice. Um, it's addressing a whole set of issues, which obviously has to be central to any kind of radical political agenda um, for us. And yet in other ways, obviously, it, it clearly that we would have clearly it's different from our sort of politics and it's it would be interesting to sort of think about you know what it is they're doing and and what it is they're not doing like from our point of view and i i is and i suppose my feeling about it in a way is i mean what i would say is that i mean obviously uh, extinction rebellion which is a big kind of non-violent broad-based protest movement um basically advocating for civil disobedience and mass arrests as a way of um pushing um towards um you know its government action or some kind of political action on climate change is it's very very acid um it's not very it's all but it's not you know it's not very communist it's not definitely it's absolutely not corbynist at all so it seems to represent something quite akin to us but also something quite different I and mean, it seems to represent in some ways the, the political manifestation of what i would call sort of acid liberalism whereby their their basic understanding of of politics and political change and distributions of power is i would say although it is very radical and although they they actually have a radical critique of existing systems of government it's basically coming from a position which is sort of liberal in that it basically thinks that 
political change is about the aggregation of different individuals or preferences and actions and it doesn't really they don't they're not interested either in notions like class power and they're basically against or party politics and i think their rejection of party politics seems to be partly based on this really intelligent um, understanding of the deep limitations of representative democracy that have revealed themselves over the past few decades but I worry that it also, I think they're also, they, it seems to be based on a sort of radical liberal re- rejection of the idea of sort of, you know, large blocks of people acting together in their collective interests. Um, maybe some of that's unfair, maybe some of it isn't, but that, I mean, that's just how it appears at first glance. So those are the reasons why I think it's worth us talking about it. We, we could go back to, um, let's go back to Gail Bradbrook's trip as well, because <laughs> she took ayahuasca and like, this is what, in, in an interview that she she did a couple of uh, um, a while after that, after Exile had been established, she said she said this about it. It was a real intense experience. I actually prayed for what I called the codes of social change. I thought there must be something I don't understand, and within a month, my prayer was literally answered. And like, that's that's one of the limitations or drawbacks um, of, of Exile is that there is this idea that they have got this the codes of social change, right? That they have they've worked it out, and it's all based on this. This this book by um, Erica um, Chirwith, Chirwith, sorry, Erica Chirwith, and they think you know basically that's the codes. That's is how you do it. There will be a political revolution in this in this October, so this month, according to Roger Hallam in that that um, politics theory of a um, interview he did. You know, and in some ways, right? I think we can we can sort of link we can sort of link that to, in a way, I think, like extinction rebellion acts a bit like an acid trip for a certain section of society, right? <laughs> um, because like one of the things acid does, well, we, 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 like one of the interesting things we're interested about acid is that like this sense of connectedness with everything, which can act as a real real tool of anti individualization that doesn't seem to be taking effect. Um, on Gail Bradbrook, or, or, but the practice is that anti-individualization. But the other thing it does is it, it can act as a sort of shock. It can shock you out of habitual modes of thought. Do you know what I mean? And it's it particularly useful for those things, those things that you realize, but you carry around just out of view. Do you know what I mean? Those things that you sort of understand intellectually, but you don't, you can't actually live your life with those in full view. I mean, the most obvious one that we would carry around with us is our own mortality, right? We all intellectually understand that, but you can't go through life with that as your, in, your, in your view, do you know what I mean? And I think climate change acts as a, as a little bit like that, right? It's one of those things where that we, for a lot of people, they understand the, the, the seriousness, the immediacy of the climate crisis. And yet when you look around, it's as, you know, when you look at yourself, your own patterns of behavior, it's as though you don't believe that. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And so it's yeah. that, that thing of like, right, XR is going to force this group of people to bring that to the front of their of their consciousnesses, right? Um, which is which is a powerful thing, you know. And I I want to say Extinction Rebellion is a good thing. You know, it's better yeah, that absolutely. it happened than it didn't happen. But that that is a real limitation, right? The, the the real limitation for me is that idea that it's brought that that the sort of the revelation mode of of social changes. It's brought to the front of your consciousness. Then they've got the codes. They found those codes. Gail Bradbrook did a trip. Then she found the codes. Uh, so the thing that's missing from from um, Extinction Rebellion is this idea that um, you know change is complicated, and in fact, what you need to do 
is develop the abilities to analyze society and strategize. Um, you need to develop those in the people, you know, across the mass, basically. And they don't do that. They are consciously against that, uh, which leads it to be a sort of hierarchical organization or, or ten, tends it to be a hierarchical organization. I think local groups are sort of rebelling against that now. Um uh, yeah, really interesting. There's there's only really one thing I want to say about Extinction Rebellion. Well, maybe two things. Um, the first one is is con- how I've interacted with Extinction Rebellion, which is and and what how, what it's changed in me. So you know, like you guys, I've been an activist involved in many movements uh, in the UK for like most of my life, um, and. When I saw the imagery of the uh, protests that were taking place in April, and I was just basically, I was really busy with work, doing stuff on the NHS at the time, um, and but I came across these these pictures of basically Oxford Circus being um, occupied with this big boat that they had. And th- th- those images had a really profound effect on me because it reminded me of Reclaim the Streets. It reminded me of stuff that I'd been involved in, you know, whatever, 17, 18 years before. And or even, you know, the Iraq war when they were demonstrating day in, day out. And um it somehow has affected my relationship to um exactly what you were saying here about how how present climate change is um in me like i i've never been engaged on climate change like i'll be honest people get really pissed off when i say this but it just hasn't engaged me like public services and workers rights are is the stuff that that i've always worked and cared about and anti-war stuff and you know i knew climate change was important but it even though i was working in organizations that worked on climate change like it it never really got to me. Yet somehow by seeing that the protest images with the joy, with the holding public space, it had an effect on me. And I think about climate change differently. And I think about myself within climate change differently and my actions differently on an individual level, which I didn't expect. And that's kind of not my not my worldview. So that's, the, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing, and so I went down, sorry, I went down um, to the Marble Arch thing in April. And I thought, wow, this is really brilliant, like in terms of how I felt in the space. And I thought that tactically what they were doing was was really good and interesting, not having known any of the background or any of the problems, which to be fair, like I don't really want to talk about because I haven't formed an opinion on with in terms of like the problems and the tactics um, and, um, and, uh, and a lot of the issues and, and the ideology are not, um, behind XR. But the other thing that I want to talk about is one, this is the 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 first the first sort of sustained set of demonstrations happening in London, which I've not been a part of. And I think that's that's interesting. Like the reason why I want to hold back um uh, a more sophisticated critique is I've not been a part of it. Um and I've not I've not been able to go down yet this time. Um but also just the left's response. Like, I think we have to take stock and be aware of the fact that Extinction Rebellion has engaged thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, which the left has not. And so with all of its issues, we have to have at least that humility of understanding that something has worked there 
And, you know, it's coming across, like you said, Jeremy, in quite an acid way, in quite a collective joy way, in quite a free way, in quite a collective way. Um, and it has engaged so, so many people and their vantage point and their viewpoint is fundamentally different. And what I don't understand is some people on the left expecting that Extinction Rebellion will tomorrow take on a left perspective if we just throw it at them, if you see what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then my final point, wrapping that all up, really, is that what I what I would love, what I think is a, a really important acid perspective, effectively, is that a movement, you know, pushing against capitalism and the state, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether it's whether it's something they articulate or or not, is is an ecology. Like what we're doing is an ecology, and the pun is not intended, but now it's going to be intended. Um, we're in an ecology, and the left is only part of that. And what I'd like to see from everyone is more movement appreciation really we don't have to accept or agree with other people but i have a lot of movement appreciation for extinction rebellion even though i've not been a part of it and i don't really understand it so that's really all i have to say yeah i agree with every word of that and i would say actually <clears throat> i don't want to critique them i do want to explore a little bit the differences between our position and theirs but because i think those differences are, are potentially complementary in a broader ecology you know, of a kind of multifaceted movement against, you know, as you say, you know, capitalism and its state forms. So uh, it's a really helpful clarification, actually, because I do, I do want to think about the ways in which, you know, our position is different. But I, but that's not for the sake of saying our position is even necessarily better. I mean, it's, I think because I think part of the issue is that they're mobilising uh, exactly as you say, they're mobilising a quite specific constituency. Um, it was a bit different from from us and our constituency, if if we have one. Um, I mean, not that we can claim to be some kind of a movement like XR. I'm not making that claim about us, but I sort of think that I, th I think we rep we represent a sort of urban left hippie politics, and they represent something different. Like they're mo they're mostly not from the cities. They're mostly they are coming mostly from kind of very white, you know, kind of liberal um, backgrounds and constituencies. And that's not a criticism. That's to say that they, it's absolutely genius, actually, the way they found of mobilising okay, from so, those constituencies. So, is, so are you because I didn't know this, are you saying that most people from XR are not, like the London demonstrations that happened, you're saying they're not from Greater London? I don't know this. Well, anecdote, yeah, anecdote. This is what, I, what I've heard from people involved is, yeah, they're mostly not from okay. London. I mean, there's a very big London presence. And like you and I are both on our local Extinction Rebellion WhatsApp groups. And like the one in Waltham Forest is fantastic. And it's fantastic the way in which it's very open. Anyone can get involved. There's lots of stuff for families and children to do, which is all just brilliant and very, very different from the earlier sort of earlier sort of protest movements like Reclaim the Streets. Uh, and there's a real advance on that. So that is all, yeah, that is all fantastic. I, I agree with that. We should, perhaps, I, I, we should perhaps make could, a, sorry, Jeremy, do you want to go on? Yeah. Can we just come back and say, cause I think people listening, I still might still be wondering, I mean, when Keir said they think they've got the codes to social change, but what is it? What do they think those codes are? Like, what specifically is the theory of change they're working with? Yeah. So, based. Yeah. That, I, mean, I mean, but it's all written out. They've got a, a, you know a real clear a clear idea of how change comes about, and it's it's drawn from this this um, this uh, text by Chenoweth. Um, the. Uh, um, it's called this civil resistance is what works or something like that. I can't remember what the book is now. 
And it is this idea if you get a certain percentage of the population to rebel, then then the system will fall. And they sort of use models such as, you know, the fall of East Germany or whatever, right? These sorts of models, uh, but primarily sort of like authoritarian states where you just get enough of people to, 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 to sort of like be an open rebellion and then, then the, the, the state will fall. <laughs> yeah, so, so they literally, my understanding, having you know, read the stuff, is they literally think, basically, yeah, you have to, to, to get systemic change, you have to get a certain percentage of the population to be in rebellion. That what, that what counts as being in rebellion is more than anything overwhelmingly getting arrested. And that, you know, and that therefore, they do literally think that the way you get massive change is you get a certain number of people arrested. And that, that's how you know. I mean, they're not so stupid to think that is the direct causal thing. Obviously, I think some of them do, to be honest. They think that it's just a, if a certain number of people get arrested, change automatically happens. But that is sort of sim- symptomatic. And I've got to say, I am going to criticise this and say, look, that Chernowitz stuff is very problematic. It's based on extremely selective yeah, readings. I agree with that. Very specific historical case studies. It's not at all appropriate um, to use that methodology to um, inform something like Extinction Rebellion because what they do not do is what any any just basically you know um, credible methodology would do which is not only to look at very disparate instances of apparently successful change but also to look at instances where people are trying to do things as close as possible to what XR are doing and where they haven't worked and they don't pay any attention to that at all they don't have an analysis based on any historical awareness of the fact that there have been lots of attempts to engage mobilizations like XR or that are comparable to XR that haven't worked and they don't have an idea of why those things haven't worked and their selective examples are very much as Keir says they're from this liberal canon of very particular types of change in which basically indeed authoritarian states have been pushed in a liberal direction so they're very selective and actually that is a real problem because actually what we need to challenge climate change is not to push you know our authoritarian state in a liberal direction it's to push our highly liberal but highly undemocratic state in a socialist direction <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, but isn't that and this comes back to the point of what i was saying of why i think parts of the left don't get this is that that it, it's almost like it's a meta vicious circle it, it, logically because what you've just said jeremy kind of only seems to make sense to people who i mean i hope it's it's wider than that but but what authoritarianism is and what liberalism is only seems to make sense to like as defining concepts to people on the left in the way that we view it so so what i don't i I just think that they see things differently like i'm not saying it's right i think it's wrong but they i so i agree with you but their their vantage point the way they look out into the world and analyze it is fundamentally different because because they don't have a power analysis that we do. Yeah. yeah, well, you're right. But I also think we've all got this sense, haven't we, that despite we, we, we would all agree, the sort of on paper, it sort of looks like a, it looks like a car crash. You know, the, the theory is bad and there are real limitations to it. In practice, what's kind of extraordinary is what they're actually doing is fantastic. And I think it seems to me that what Extinction Rebellion is actually doing in practice is something which completely exceeds the limits of its theory and the limits of the theoretical positions taken by its so leadership. Creative. But there's, a, there's another line of there's another line of theory though that informs them. So you know the the, the Chenoweth stuff. 
that's just not been proved because they've not changed. They've not brought down the government, right? And I, I've got a prediction: Roger Hallam's going to be wrong, and they wouldn't have brought down the government by the end of October. Uh, yeah, we're putting money up. We're saying it here now. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, Brexit might, and he might claim that. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, that. who's going to be able to say what brings down the government if it comes down? They're not saying. He's not saying they're going to bring down the government. No, he's saying the, the entire system. system of parliamentary yeah. government is going to collapse. Yeah. By I mean, December, it is. We know that. Which is <laughs> other reasons. No, it's not. No, it no let, let me just go back there because, because, like that Genoese stuff, like whether that, that that that's not proven. Like whether that works or not has not been proven. What they've been successful at is is this like really quick mobilization of large numbers, and like the theory they're getting that from is a theory of mo- of movement building, which they get from a US uh, uh, group who train social movements called Momentum. So that's not linked to the UK Momentum, linked to the Labour Party. No, no. It's got a very specific form. Of, like this is how you rapidly, rapidly grow, and it's got stuff like you know you work out the DNA of a movement, and you go around and you do trainings in the DNA of the movement, so you can keep the core of the movement together like the best the best iteration of that the most useful iteration of that theory is uh, the shock doctrine of of the left by graham jones who uses that and he uses it in a really interesting way and links it to that's a book that's a book yeah but complexity science it's really worth engaging with uh, but the problem so one of the problems with xr is that the dna of the organization is that um, there's one mode of social change um uh, this is it you follow this and this will happen, right? And so what, what you you two are absolutely right, right? We need to we need to think about the left and social movements and, you know, uh, the, any movement of radical transformation as an ecology of organisations fulfilling different functions, uh, uh, you know, and the purpose is to try and get those functions into, a, into, in, into a, the, the formation in which change can happen, you know. Like that DNA of, the, of XR that they've been trying to train people in is specifically against the idea that there's an ecology of different organisations, right? That is a, that's a big problem for us. That doesn't mean that you can't you you can't analyse them and incorporate them into a, in a, into an analysis of ecology. You know, it, the ecology also includes groups who are actively hostile to you, and you have to take into account their strengths and limitations and try to form stuff around yeah that's completely i mean the whole the the momentum i've done some work using those models of the the momentum us models and it and it is and it is movement dna not organizational dna which is interesting so so the the concept of movement dna and what i said about um uh, what would I would I say about movement movement ecology and movement appreciation those are those are concepts that the Momentum US uses and that Neon here in the UK uses. And, and I've been on these big trainings. And that is, in fact, interestingly, like talking to groups on the left that are working on really difficult issues, that is one of the most difficult things to to get people to pull back on so, and, and kind of get that movement appreciation. Like you said exactly, Keir, the people disagreeing with you are in the same ecology, trying to get the same, to fight the same thing. And, and so... It is very interesting what you said that that of course it seems like Extinction Rebellion is not doing that. It's like no, this is just us. So, and yeah, inter- I don't know much about yeah. Well, I think, well, I think because also, I mean, yeah, I've been exposed to some of that momentum stuff as well, and it's, I mean, I mean, one of their things is also movement generosity, isn't it? Mm. Just the idea that you have to you have to try to take a non sectarian and a kind of productive and helpful attitude towards other people. Who share some of your, at least some of your values and objectives. And I think, 
I mean, so I would say, I mean, one thing that's really important to recognise about Extinction Rebellion is it is internally proliferating. You know, so within Extinction Rebellion, lots of different groups and different tendencies are emerging, and they, they seem to be able to share a common space quite effectively. And we should especially give a shout out to the global, um, the global sort of climate justice camp, which is, you know, um, some friends of ours have been involved in, uh, and uh, which I'll be speaking at on the, the Sunday, the, is it the 13th? Um, six o'clock. <laughs> this will probably go out after that. Probably go out after that. I'm going to be talking about neoliberalism, climate change, etc. So there is space, definitely space opening up from within and from Extinction Rebellion for a more sort of sustained anti-capitalist critique, for a more... And indeed, they themselves, I mean, to be fair, it's not like... I mean, Gail... I mean, Bradbrook has a critique of neoliberalism. She has a critique of, of uh, capitalism. I mean, the problem for me is that they don't seem to really have any grasp on the fa- on, on recent history. They don't really seem to... The, a, they don't know anything. seem to know anything about even things like reclaim the streets. They don't seem to know there have been a, a, a succession of radical ecology movements with quite similar objectives and methods. And they don't seem to know, they really don't seem to have their heads around the basic points con- continuously made by people like Naomi Klein and George Monbiot, who, you know, that it's not, although we can say, like as they, as some, a lot of Extinction Rebellion people would say, oh, well, yeah, our entire civilization has been built on carbon, you know, excessive carbon use since deforestation began 5,000 years ago, or, you know, it's all based on capitalism and the only alternative is some kind of sort of primitivist rejection of it. That despite all that being true on certain levels, it's also true that, you know, basically the reason we haven't been able to do anything about climate change over the past few decades is because, it's precisely because the neoliberalism in the 1990s particularly aggressively destroyed all of the sort of international regulatory frameworks that had been created in the post-war period that could have been used to actually implement you know, drastic global carbon re- emission reductions. So there's a really specific politics. And, and that makes, to me, that makes their position that, for example, they're against all party politics and they're above all party politics. It makes it very problematic. On the one hand... On the other hand, I would say at this stage in their sort of struggle and development, I mean, fair play to them. They're probably doing the right thing because they wouldn't have got all these kind of liberals from Totnes like to come out to London to demonstrate if they just if they were saying we support yeah, the Green you know, New Deal, we, <laughs> we support we, Labour's Green New Deal. We support the Green New Deal. We're, we're, yeah, we're pro Corbyn. We're anti-Tory. No we're anti-liberal. No like, way. They wouldn't. Have, they wouldn't have got Boris Johnson's dad, you know, talking for them and. I mean, the issue that comes up here, you know, in so many different ways is always just the, you know, the nature of, co- of coalition building and coalition politics. That's what I was really wanting to say in, in relation to what you were saying about the, the problems with the, the sort of movement DNA model and the organisational DNA model. I mean, if your idea is just, well, you have a blueprint and you're going to keep replicating that blueprint and that's the only way you're going to grow... If that is all you're going to do, then the problem is then you don't take a, you never take account of the fact that you know every movement is a coalition of multiple forces and of different types. Some of which will have different organisational models, some of which will have different constituencies, and that really echoes. I mean, I've been asked. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do the, this recording actually is because I've been asked very specifically several times by several people who are who listen to our podcast, who are interested in what we do, who, who come to my parties, um, and they specifically want to know, well, what is your take on it? So what do you think about it? And and I and the thing I've ended up saying to them each time, actually, after having you know, discussed it for a while, is, well, I think right now, and I said, for example, this October, XR should just keep doing exactly what it's doing. 
but also i am at some point it is going to have to confront the fact that it cannot realize its objectives alone it can only realize its objectives as part of a broader ecology of movements organizations and if it and that is going to have to include large sections of the trade union movement it's going to have to include um, p- people within political parties probably it's going to have to include making alliances with you know the le- the radical left in labor but also people in the green party even whatever remnants of the radical liberal tradition might be left in the Liberal Democrats, you know, people in the nationalist parties, you know, rather than just having this blanket rejection, for example, of party politics. But I don't think it's... And I think if XR, you know, manages to keep going for another year or so, it will both experience the limitations of not being that. It will find that sooner or later, it's not getting any new people, it's not getting any bigger, and it will have to confront that. But for now... At this stage, I would say, I mean, if you know, they, I mean, they've got. There's no reason they should be interested in what we think they should do. I think they, they probably should just be doing exactly what they're doing because, because at, at this stage in their struggle in their development, it's working really well. Uh, 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 it does bring up another thing, another problem, right? Which is a problem I'm interested in, which is like how how should people like us relate to something like that? You know, and not in not in a, not in a sort of like critique way but as how should movement veterans veterans of past sort of ecological movements relate to something new that they're sort of not invited to i don't know that we're not invited because i was i don't think that's true i I totally don't think that's true all right that was a rhetorical flourish a rhetorical flourish (laughs) no no sure but but it's an important great on it's an important point though because i do i and it it is a really good thing about xr like like reclaim the streets you had to get an invite you know people didn't feel invited a lot of the time you know, you yeah. had to get an invite. That was a problem with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, with XR, I have felt invited by it, and and thousands of people have felt invited by it, and that's okay. a brilliant thing about that's yeah. a brilliant thing about it. I know, but it's it's a, it's, a, it's and I think, but the, no, the, no, you're right. the distinction to make though is that like there are like there is XR, there is a tight, very small leadership in London, and then there's the, the rest of XR. Do you know what I mean? Um, who don't have access to the bank bank accounts, etc., and can't decide on the direction of the movement. That's like it's a hierarchical movement, and you, the only way to get a non-hierarchical movement is to have a real a, a real focus on building analytical and strategic abilities throughout the organisation. Do you know what I mean? So, in that interview on PTO with Roger Hallam, you know the radical left is not invited. No, well, Hallam, I mean specifically, yeah, yeah, you know, he, I mean the claims he, I mean he, he. He hates the left. He doesn't understand anything about it. He, he he reproduces a set of caricatures about the left, which come directly from the conservative right. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know anything about the history of the left. Every claim he makes about the left is easily disprovable. And is, you know, so I think, but I think we have to bracket but, off Hannam. I mean, if you but, take Hannam's and his claims about the movement, about the left seriously, then the whole thing but, would just be a disaster. But we cannot deny that there are droves of people, they might not be the majority, I hope they're not, who both from being affected by mainstream media, but like in an to not totally patronise them, their experience of left groups has been just a bunch of internal-looking, joyless cranks. That's been their experience. That's I been agree. My bloody experience. You know what I mean? No, so, I agree. so if that's what, I agree. So if if I, if we if I can just make a comment about form over content here, which is my big thing with almost anything political, and then I am happy to have other people like pull me back <laughs> to content on that. Is that if if your experience? I mean. 
where I mean, where I live, there's like, like you said with where you live, Jeremy, there's like, there is not very much happening in the suburbs. And suddenly there's this XR group that has like, you know, loads of people in it. And, and those people have, I think it's the other way around, have felt not invited into into the left. Now that might not be my left. You know, the left is very broad in terms of how how it goes about having meetings, how it talks, the atmosphere, etc. But you know, what what why I'm really enthused by what XR is doing is that it's fun and it's engaging and there are kids and there's giant octopuses and kangaroos on stilts. Like that's that's fun, cool stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's not the same as sitting, being invited to a meeting that starts by a like a droning and and a, a panel talking in this unaccessible language. Now, I'm, this is not me being down on the left. I'm just saying, or you know, even some of those panel type meetings, which I think are important. It's just that that we not everyone is the same as well, and there are people who their experience of the left has not been one that has engaged them, right? No, I, I completely, yeah, yeah, that's all completely right. And, and that's completely true. But And I would say, I think we would all agree with this, that one of the things that is very important for people to understand is that the reason the left is like that is not, as Hallam says, and as the right says, because of some intrinsic problem with the very concept of the left. It's because mo- those ex- th- all those formations that people experience in their contacts with the, you know, so-called left. I'd lost all those formations, those little groups, you know, you know, impenetrable meetings, etc. They are the residue of the left having suffered terrible defeats, you know, in the, you know, from the mid seventies onwards for several decades, terrible defeats that left it too weak to actually develop anything else. And, and the 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 thing that got defeated, the thing that got smashed up, you know, was the thing which is still responsible for having for almost everything that makes life livable and tolerable for us today. And it was the thing that, if it hadn't got smashed up, would have would have been able to address climate change. And when I say the thing, I mean basically the the, the apparatus of the social democratic state and the labour movement and the broader, you know, popular left. Um, the broader popular working class uh, left and its kind of alliances with sections of the sort of professional classes, etc., that all developed over the course of the 19th and 20th centuries. And that is why it's absolutely crucial to sort of consciousness raise. That's why understanding history is crucial to consciousness raising. And I would say, to come back to Keir's question, how can we relate to it? I would say, well, I would say two, I would say two things. Firstly, we relate to it positively, sort of lovingly, supportively you know i support it i do everything i can you know in my little way to support them and i you know i'm happy very happy to go and give a talk at, at extinction rebellion and you know i've and i'm really happy to support it and to and to really to support it uncritically um but also what we can do i mean the thing as you know the thing we can do i think it is to try to when we get the opportunity if anybody asks us or if we get any chance to do so is to try to bring a bit of historical perspective mm. to it because it is it is crucial in fact you know, we can talk about theory and understanding history, but the two things become inseparable. I mean, they're, they're, the, the theoretical problems with the Extinction Rebellion are absolutely about them having a really, really weak grasp of the actual history of social and political change over the past hundred years. And um, if they had a better, I think they would have a better theory if they had a better understanding of history. And I think if they had a better understanding of history, they would be able. They would then have a much more movement generous 
attitude to the left mm. actually they would they would not have this actually very parsimonious sectarian moralizing and you know quite you know yeah. attitude and also to, to and the also left. if they, they were understand. like they, they would be open to the 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 other experience of the left which is currently very much alive which is you know people around the the world transformed and stuff like that i mean that is not yeah, exactly that, that that is a very kind of open creative fun inclusive area of the of the left you know yeah exactly that you know that's exactly we right, massively you know? support and are part of yeah we do i mean we are we come from the world transformed and the world transformed and and every claim made by people like hallam about the left is disproved by the existence of the world transformed so and i think you know the world but and i think we're very much in the same space i mean i mean i suppose this comes back to the initial question why do we want to talk about this because there's obviously there's also something very similar in the vibe the aesthetic you know, the intentions and, and the experience of both the world transformed and Extinction Rebellion, I think. And there are plenty of people who are into both. I mean, there are people, there are plenty of people at our, uh, you know, at our, at our Asi, you know, Asi Corbynist night at World Transformed who were also, who were involved in Extinction Rebellion, for example, or at least several people. So I think, um, and I think, you know, we, we definitely want to promote that. But when I, when I was talking about like what what attitude we should take, it's also like a, a self critique of myself. You know, it's a undermining of my own my own criticisms of of XR. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, because it's that thing of you know, well, uh, I'm conscious. I don't want to overcode this new thing with my own experiences. Do you know what I mean? So what? But then again. I've sort of been down this cycle before. Do you know what I mean? I was involved. I was quite heavily involved with the climate camp movement when it first started. But I had a similar thing then, actually, right? So when it first started to get discussed at climate camp, I argued against it. Do you know what I mean? I said, no, I think this is the wrong way to go. Um, but um, but then when people decided to do it, I said, well, I'll, I'll engage and I'll, I'll engage in a critical way, but I'll support it as much as possible, do you know? Cause... Well, just, just say what climate camp was for people. So climate camp, it ran from 2006, I think, up until 2010. And it was a... It was, it was a movement of, you know, so camps were formed and they were usually formed around a piece of, you know, like a, a coal-powered station. So I was quite involved in setting up the first camp, which is at, which is at Drax, which is the biggest coal-powered power station. Yeah, that's what I was tripping up on, coal-powered power station <laughs> in Europe. Or coal-burning, yeah, should it be coal-burning? <laughs> coal burning. Anyway, yeah, yeah, we know yeah. what you mean. Go on. Uh, yeah, we're against it anyway. And... Uh, uh, so the idea would be there'd be, a, there'd be a camp for a week and there'd be sort of like lots of education, etc. But the idea would be then to go and do some direct action, you know. And it, it, it's sort of, in fact, th- this sort of relates to the sort of non-violent bit because it was, it was violently attacked. Basically, it, you know, there were um, there were uh, uh, several undercover cop police police officers in it who got revealed, um, and it became part of this 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 sort of like the, the incredible police repression around the one at King's North Power Station. And that sort of cracked. In fact, it was a death of Ian Tomlinson at, on, on a demonstration in London yeah. that sort of cracked open this this thing and like made policing of protests uh, a really big scandal. And I think people forget just about how successful the climate camp was around 2009, 2010, because that was the last time when climate change was like this really huge, huge Huge issue, basically one of the the, be- the the most the most prominent issue. Yeah, and it was overtaken by and that, austerity, and then that faded. It was overtaken by austerity, yeah, but it, it but it also it, it it ended almost immediately in two thousand and ten because there was this big UN 
climate meeting, the COP15 in Copenhagen. Everyone went there. And basically, I think the whole climate camp movement realized that its strategy of change really devolved, devolved down to like militant lobbying of a load of governments who just basically weren't interested and weren't going to do anything. And then, then at that level, what do you do? Do you know what I mean? Which is a problem, yeah. which is a problem that XR are going to face in a different form when that strategy does not work. Well, what do you do then? Do you know what I mean? Do you just, does the whole organization just dissolve? That, that You know, that's that's a problem that I think people outside XR have got to address as well as people inside XR. Well, I think I think that's all right. But I think it's also important to say, and we haven't quite said this yet, XR, in my, to my mind, has had an eno- one enormous effect this year, one enormous success, which Climate Camp never came close to. And that is, I don't think, I don't think the trade unions would have basically backed down from their sort of uh, their hostility to Labour adopting the Green New Deal as, a, as part of its platform at conference had it not, had they not been basically spooked by the scale and success of XR yeah, I into realising realize, that there was a broad public well outside their traditional constituency yeah, who were getting very agree, agitated about agree. climate change. Totally. And I think XR themselves, I think, are clueless that that is the big effect they've had, and that and that will go down in history as their big success this year. You know, but despite that, that is the truth. That is yeah. the case, and I think that is a, that kind of exemplifies the whole situation. Actually, sooner or later, if they're going to keep being effective, they're going to have to realise. Well, that is that was their victory, and that they would they need we need we need more victories like that. But the irony of it is the paradox is I think, and I said we're saying this to someone at TWT. The paradox is that well, actually, one reason they had that success. Is sort of because they're not in a position to conceptualise yes. that as being what they were aiming <laughs> yeah. for. Because I think they partly they they one reason that they did really spook the union leadership is precisely because oh shit, there are all these people that, to the union leadership. The union they, they know the left, they know us very well indeed. They know TWT, they know what we want, they know we're a bunch of hippies, you know, and they so and they're not sure really hippie, scared of but, us. Okay. But to them, to them I'm not a hippie, uh, I'm a punk. Yeah. To them, <laughs> to them. You know, to them, uh, XR are this kind of are, are they are this mysterious mob like coming out of the suburbs and the, yeah. and the home counties and the West Country that they didn't even know existed and they didn't know were ever going to be politically mobilisable. And I think that has really spooked them, and that gave us the kind of radical left within the Labour movement a real opening to push for the Green New Deal agenda. And that is that is real collective agency being exercised, irrespective of anybody's individual conscious intentions. Uh, which, of course, is exactly what I've been saying for years: is how social change actually happens. But it's also so, a perfect, a perfect uh, uh, example of that's how eco- that's how eco- thinking about it in terms of an ecology where a group just does something; it has some other effect, and if you can, you know, um, capture that effect, then then it can make change in a, in a realm that, that that the the original group was not even thinking about. You know, that's how yeah, exactly. an ecology of social movements works. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, I, and I, I think this is stuff I've been sort of trying to write about and think about and theorise since the 90s. And, and I would say, and again, I suppose I, I would say that the experience of things like Reclaim the Streets, things like the rave movement in the 90s, all kinds of other things, has very led me to this very firm conclusion that, as I keep saying, that is how things work up to a point. But also, there also will come a point in the next year or so where if XR isn't to burn itself out, is to go on being a really effective part of that broader ecology it will have to become a bit more conscious of that role mm. and a bit and a bit more conscious of the need for a sort of strategic orientation towards you know how, being part of a broad-based coalition 
you know, that sort of reminds me of the discussions we've been having about consciousness raising and, and me and Nad, the, the consciousness raising workshops me and Nadia have been doing, where we say, you know, well, we, this is really effective for this, but like, you know, in the form that we've been doing them, they only do one function of consciousness raising and there's a gap between, you know, the, what you need to do in order to get, you know, much a, a much fuller uh, understanding of, of where you sit in the world and how to change it. You know, perhaps that's, that is what, you know, we could look at what XR is doing. It's, it's one one of the first functions of consciousness raising, but there has to be other elements of that in order to. There has to be a, an additional analysis, not just that bringing that 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 hidden uh, knowledge of, of the climate check crisis to the fore and using that as a moral imperative for for action. You know, there needs to be some other level of analysis added also, to that. But also, just yeah, exactly. you know, the, again relating to the point I was making making earlier. Just the extent at which these experiences will change people and, you know, radicalize them in the, in the, in the, in the widest definition of, of radical. Um, and how different that experience is. I mean, literally going down to the demonstrations, like the parties that are playing drum and bass in London, like the other night, and all of the different creative activities that are going on, like the liberatory effect that it has on the people who are engaged in it. And of course, there are a lot of people not engaged in it, but with the people who are engaged in it and part of it, like you cannot take that experience away from your body and it will have an effect when you go back to wherever you're from um and and it's not the same as an a to b march it's just not it's just not absolutely and and that's what reminds me of like the late 90s and early 2000s is that you 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 felt like you were taking up space doing something in a completely different way and why it's important today is it completely contradicts the kind of westminster village like me mainstream media also journalistic and you know um mp vision of all of these people sitting with their ipads like commuting like super tech um like amazing vision of london that doesn't actually exist well, it exists for very few, like it contradicts that in experience. So not only are people, people are like living a different kind of person of which that is not represented in, in the discourse by being part of those demonstrations. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah,